Hello, hello, hello. This is Joe Chesterman March, and you're listening to Classical Music Now, the podcast by No Dice Collective about contemporary classical music or just kind of music happening now, classical music happening now. God, it's been a long time since I've done this introduction. This is season two. I'm really happy to say we've got video going for this one. So there's some little video teasers. Not the whole thing, just some teasers because editing a podcast and video is just hell on earth. So we won't do that. But you can see what our pretty faces look like. I've put a link in the description to one of those teasers. We've got some really cool guests coming up. We've got uh, Raymond Yu on the next podcast talking about his new album. And this episode, we've got Lara Agar, who is a composer, a violinist. She has studied most recently as a junior fellow at Guildhall School of Music and Drama, where she was previously a postgrad, before that at the University of Manchester, which is how I know her. And as we talk about in this episode, her composition has moved towards the world of writing music for dance, most recently for the piece Shades of Blue, which was filmed at Sadler's Wells and broadcast on the BBC. We talk a little bit about how that came about, why writing music for dance isn't a 50-50 shared relationship, the benefits of long-term creative partnerships, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the dance or the music. Uh, we also talk about Lara's accidental rock opera, the role of handwritten scores, Lara's love of chaos, and the role of experimental nights you don't want to remember <laughs> or listen back to it anyway. So here we are. This is Lara Agar. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. And yeah, we kick off with that dance, Shades of Blue. Here we go. How did you get into that, working with Sadler's Wells and uh, writing a piece about Black Lives Matter? Uh, so I got into working with dance through Guildhall and through, through my masters there. And we had a project at the London Contemporary Dance School, which is like a collaborations project. And I worked with Anthony, who's the choreographer for Shades of Blue, on that. So that just really kick-started the whole thing. And then um, it all sort of took off from there, really. And we've just been working together for about three years now. So have you guys worked on other things before as well? Yeah, so um, our first one was Anima Rose, um, which is like very, very different. And we did like a bunch of stuff in between. So we did like a sort of improv thing at the bunker. And then we did a piece with the Sadler's Wells Young Associates, which was in 2019, I think. Um, so that was like quite a big step up. And then we did a piece with National Dance Company of Wales as well. And then all sorts. So I've been doing some music for a film that his company is doing oh, cool. as well. So just like little things here and there. Yeah. And so you guys have like a really nice working relationship then. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been a good collaboration. I think it's definitely been challenging, but there's been like really good times as well. And it's been a big learning curve. I think for me, working out, like, going forward what the dance needs and, like, my role sort of changing, it's like now I sort of view it more like my job is just to support what's going on on stage and, like, this story is, like, something that needs to be told and, like, if I can drive that and, like, push it, I can do that. But I really, like, my job is really to support this vision rather than, like, it's an equal vision. You know, because at the start, I think... Often with collaborations, you'll say, like, this is 50-50. We're, like, both coming up with this, whereas it's it sort of shifted. So I'm, that's been really interesting. Mm, yeah. The music needs to have a very clear role just for myself, like, knowing what I can bring. Yeah. 
So does that mean the music's simpler in a way, like it's drawing less attention to itself? So with dance, it's very, it's interesting because you have the visual going on. And I think in any collaboration where you have these two elements, like the music doesn't actually need to do as much as if you're just listening. So if you listen to it on its own, it's sort of like there'll be loads of space. <laughs> but when you put it with something happening on stage, you almost don't want the music to get in the way of that. So it's sort of finding a balance of like it's driving something. It, it's like there for a reason, but also it's it's allowing the drama to sort of take off and do its own thing. So what, what was it like working on Shades of Blue? Because it's, it's about like Black Lives Matter and without knowing that you guys had like collaborated before. Yeah. It immediately struck me as strange that you've got this kind of like all black dance troupe, I think, and like black writers. And then you've got like Lara doing the music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I think it sort of happened by chance and I think it's definitely quite like humbling to be part of it and just um and you know like that's not something that I can really understand like I just thought like okay I can support this and like it all came about quite quickly so it was just like okay we've got this let's go 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 and we just made it in like a month or something and, oh, wow. but yeah no you're right I don't really fit into that <laughs> <laughs> No, it makes like so much more sense that you're saying it's like a working partnership. So like, of course, if yeah. things are like, happening quickly, you're just going to be like, oh, Lara's my music person. Like, let's get her on board. Yeah, I think I think there's definite benefits of working with someone you've worked with before, because a lot of the like groundwork and building up and like you you develop a, a language or you develop a way of like doing things or a routine. And I think that sort of gets easier and easier each each project you do. Mm every time there'll, there'll be something that you go okay well next time like this didn't really work out we should do that or like oh that project that kind of worked really well but then we didn't do it on the next one and that was a disaster okay this time we can <laughs> um so things like that so what's coming first because the music seems really synchronized or I should say like the dance feels really synchronized to the music you know there's definitely lining up moments yeah so like which one of those comes first in the process a sort of a bit of both for this one a lot of the choreography um had was already there and then so like the whole opening section for example I think some of the choreography was there and I would see a video and say it's like okay this needs to have like a rhythmic core to it and then we we would just work together so synchronizing like moments of stillness and then it's like oh something could go in there and then like counting out the beats like okay so it, a lot of that we did like really choreograph quite specifically and then I mean typically I'm quite into things just like not syncing and like <laughs> colliding so then, so then there's like sections which are just I like I like it when things are sort of left to chance and they're a bit more wild and that's I think that's a limitation with the with having to work to recording is that you can't change it up once it's down it's down it's sort of stuck there but if you're working with like a live team you could sort of say to the musicians hey let's do it a bit differently next time and no one would know you know it's a bit more exciting so so there's that but I, th I mean I think for the dancers it's way more relaxing to have something that they know mm. and can get familiar with yeah because you can really internalize if it's exactly the same each time can't you yeah it's interesting as well because I, I mean, I've not been to that many dance performances, but like you say, it's recorded and I think, oh, that's like bad for 
musicians who want to play live yeah like, i think it's, it tends to be recorded doesn't it but it yeah, frees you it up really to do does. so much more with electronics well yeah so it, so yeah i totally agree with you it's like it's kind of frustrating that it's like oh but can't we get some live musicians and i think hopefully in the future um that will be a possibility um but i think yeah i think the relationship that the dance world has with music is is interesting and it's not it's not the same that musicians have with music and I think um it's like talked about and felt in a very different way yeah I I miss working with live musicians but it does Mm. it does open up possibilities and like I've sort of learned on the job how to do all this recording stuff and it is really exciting because you can sort of do stuff you can like record some flute and then do some weird thing to it and it sounds totally different you go oh that's cool okay let's let's keep that or yeah like in in Chaser Blue there was like a breakbeat sample in the middle and that's like certain things like that like you'd never get with like a live group and especially you know in like a pit like in a small enclosed space Mm. you wouldn't really want a drummer in there smashing away getting like full like impact of the of the drums in there because you'd like deafen all your musicians yeah no I think I mean I think that's I think there'd be ways of having live musicians and like maybe like amplifying them a little bit and then you could have the electronics as well coming in um but I do I do think it's exciting if you have musicians interacting with dancers I think there's a lot of possibilities there some of your other work is is very much like based on developing things with the musician actually you mentioned um anima rose yeah and with that like with the vocalist you basically kind of devised sections yeah, of that together Rosalie Warner, she's amazing that was a really interesting one where i had some like material that was just like looping around and then because rosalie is like she's just a fantastic musician and she's also like very creative with her singing and it basically works better if I just say, okay, you do your thing, like take this material. And then if you want to like riff off it or go around and she, and she'd come out with things that were just like very, very nice. Um, so that piece, it, it worked working with the musicians in that way because of the type of musicians that it was. So it was, it was better. And then also because it was with dance and we were really developing like the dance and the music together in the room. Um, Mm. and that worked really well but also it means that like if you're a musician and a dancer is doing something you can like interact with that and like it can like inspire you to like play something slightly differently or so I think I wanted to like leave a lot of space for that to happen in a way you've kind of got like a reduced role in that environment as well you're more kind of I guess facilitating the the vibe in the room almost yeah I think facilitating is is a good way of putting it and I think um, I think it becomes interesting when you give up a certain amount of control and the question is always how much control do you give up? 
And at what point is it something that hasn't come from you and is something that is, like, really just nothing to do with you? Or at what point is it, like, a collaboration? Mm. At what point is it... It's, it's, a, it's a lot of questions, and I think... Yeah, because, like, if you're just, like, letting them kind of improvise as, just as musicians, then, like, is it yours? Yeah, but then you start going, oh, no, no, I don't like it like that. Right, so can, yeah. can you be free but not be that free? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can do this or this or this, and you can change the order, and you can go higher or lower by an octave, but can you not do anything else? So then they go, oh, but you want me to be myself and be free, but you <laughs> also don't want me to do that. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like this dichotomy where you're like, yeah, let's all share it. But also I'm sort of a control freak, so eh. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's like you're, you're setting the parameters from how free they can be. Yeah. You're saying, oh, well, you can use these notes of the scale because otherwise we'll just like lose a kind of cohesive sense of it being a piece. Mm. And it would just be, I guess it would just be free on improv essentially. Yeah, which is which is cool, but is then you're sort of like, well, this is different. This is just a different thing. This episode of Classical Music Now is supported by Dorico, the advanced music notation software from Steinberg. Dorico is designed to save you time. Whether you are a composer or arranger, a teacher or student, working in music engraving and publishing, or producing music for media, it gives you the tools to produce beautiful scores faster than any other tool, so you can spend less time in front of your computer and more time doing what you love, making music. Dorico is available in three versions, including Dorico SE, which is completely free to download and use. Check it out today at steinberg.net slash Dorico. Our thanks to Dorico for supporting this show, and if you would like to help support it as well, please use this link to check out the software, or if you are thinking about making a purchase decision, doing that through our link really helps the show out. Thanks to Dorico again, and on with the podcast. I found it interesting the score for that piece actually because it was so devised together and you know there's a bit where it's like this is a suggestion of how to do like section B mm. because this is what Rosalie did but do you think it will ever be performed again like I just wondered like who the score was for obviously I appreciated it because I got to like rifle through your your composition but, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you found the score because I was always wondering if anyone could ever find that stuff um <laughs> Well, it started out as a score, actually. Everyone's synchronised. And then I, um, when we were in the rehearsal room, there's that moment where everyone's playing through their part, practising it. Mm. And everyone's just, like, totally out of sync. And I was like, oh, actually, that sounds way better. So <laughs> can you play that loop at, like, a little bit slower and then you play it faster and then mm. please try not to sync up? Getting musicians to not sync up is a very difficult task. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah like I've conducted pieces where it's like, well, these these guys are this speed, these guys are that speed, and these guys are this speed. Yeah, like, and trying to <laughs> and not... And it's really hard to get them to not be like, oh, no, but I can hear the other person. Like, we're almost on the same beat. Can't, can I just play with them? Yeah, you have to sort of just go into your lane and, like, almost shut off everything else, which feels can feel a bit unnatural I guess mm. um, and that's something that you can do with electronics that's a lot easier to put just literally put two separate tracks together and just have them 
existing. But yeah, so every time I tried to like make a more fixed score, I think there was one week we like came into a rehearsal and I'd like done a sort of pro thing and I'd like written it out on the computer and I was like, <laughs> oh, here we go, getting, getting really like, this is really smart or whatever. And then everyone just said, uh, what happened? This was way better before. What, what you, whatever you had last week. I was like, oh, last week I just, we just had a couple of scraps of paper. <laughs> and then it was just the logistics of it are a nightmare because you have to go, okay, when this person's done three of that and then they have to wait for this person. So that mm. sort of choreographing that. That's another thing that is really hard to do as a musician as well, to have half your brain playing your part, your loop. Yeah. And then your other half, you have to like keep track of someone else's loop. And work out when they've stopped. But I think, I yeah. mean, the the musicians who played it, they were so great. And they had, I think they had a system where they'd go, and they were sort of spread out across the room quite a lot. So they'd had some system like, when the drums stop, look at piano player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually did a, a piece by Jack Sheen um, for Cantos. There was this project called In the Field. Yes, I saw. I saw. Right, that. yeah. I think it was it was quite hard to like hear it on the recording because it was all these little tiny sounds that everyone was making. Um, but it was really cool, like on the day, and we were all facing different directions and and kind of I don't know if this is breaking the magic, but out of shot. Ellie would be waving her arms when we needed to move to the next motif or like I think it was we had to. Um, all coalesce on like a note together so we'd all kind of like find the same note mm -hmm. at some point in the piece and some people couldn't see Ellie so we had like all these kind of like wink wink and like nudge nudge <laughs> like, systems going on <laughs> and yeah I think it's probably it's probably almost like part of it like you, yeah. as a composer you, you don't necessarily write those things in but they're like really essential <laughs> yeah that's so fascinating there's like this underground world of everyone going oh no how <laughs> how are we gonna yeah. know when to stop yeah there's like the meta score of like how musicians actually play the score you give them yeah so much of teaching composition actually as well like a lot of our teaching at manchester uni was make it clear make it clear make it yeah clear. and you go why 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 oh okay you get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> then you get to the rehearsal and you're like ah right because i'm spending half an hour just explaining the symbol i invented <laughs> yeah <laughs> no exactly yeah. No, I noticed that, I don't know if you have made any scores on your website that are, you know, digitally typeset. No, I mean, I sort of had a phase of handwriting my scores, which was really interesting, actually. I think it sort of stemmed from a needs basis, like Anna Moreau's, it, it was so complicated with Sibelius to work out how to, you know, and it was just quicker and easier. And then um, a piece that I wrote for the Exaudi Ensemble, I ended up handwriting it because I wanted to have like six lines and everything just happening independently. So these sections where everyone's out of sync and you, it's very hard to do that on a computer. Yeah. So it was sort of like, OK, I need to just do this by hand. But then from that, it became very interesting because your whole like process is very different, like rather than faffing around with buttons and like oh this line's just <laughs> disappeared and I have to find it. You just like once you're set up, you are just like you're able to really think about the music as you're going along and it, you can like sing it through in your head or so it feels like a much I felt I, I felt much more connected to what I'm really doing and the other thing about it is that because it does take more time you really do think about what you want to be there mm. and it sort of stops you from adding like 
a little thing that I haven't really thought about, but just because I can quickly type it in. You really think, like, do I really, does that really need to be there? Is that really part of what I'm doing? Like, where's the core of this? And I think it really has sort of changed the way that I write in a way. You also have to be careful that you, the opposite doesn't happen, that you have an idea and then you're, oh, that's going to take ages to write. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is really time consuming because like yours look like really nice and there's a whole thing about with composers and they're like oh your score looks so nice oh yeah (laughs) but like it does and it takes a long time to to write it all out it does but then you do it's like with anything you do get quicker at it I mean in the last year I really haven't been handwriting anything so much Mm. and I started trying to write something out even last week and it (laughs) I was like, oh, this is taking me way longer than it used to. My crotchet is way less tidy. (laughs) (laughs) But so it gets quicker, I think. And it's surprising how quickly it gets quicker. And then it's surprising how when you go back to the computer, that suddenly feels a lot slower and like a bit more arduous. So you go, actually, Mm. I think it's going to be. And there's something, uh, something about the process of handwriting when you just have your page and like your light and you... You know, your Mm. cup of tea on the floor, preferably. Uh, (laughs) And there's something, I don't know, maybe nostalgic about it. But also, if if you have an idea, you can just put it on immediately. And it sort of takes away the faff. Saudi are just such an incredible ensemble. They really <laughs> like, are. I was listening yeah. to um, was the piece called the Jabberwocky? It was about the Jabberwocky. Yeah, Jabberwocky. Yeah. Yeah, and like they're just they're just nuts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'd like listened to them before, and I don't think I quite appreciated just how like nuts they are as a yeah. group. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. No, they just really went for it. It's like, hey, mm. here here's some sort of strange noises for you to make they're like okay and then just like off they go yeah. um no they're have you great. done much for choir uh i've no i haven't done much for choir actually mm. it's something that i'd really like to do definitely and i and i'm really i really like working with voice like working with singers that's something i'm really interested in i think as well because voice comes into it a lot when you're composing it's like if I'm writing something I'll make a mock-up like a sort of demo and you might sing a line that you want to come in or, or, you know it's sort of it sort of really is connected so it's yeah it's definitely something I'd be interested in so I'm thinking about your what was it called like, exp- like what was it called like rock opera accidental rock opera <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
accidental rock opera. <laughs> How did that come about, your accidental rock opera? Ah, uh, that's a funny one. Um, accidental rock opera. Yeah, so so part of our course at Guildhall, we had to curate an evening. Uh, okay. Um, so this was part of this evening, which I decided to put on. And at the time, I was very into everything being like a bit loose and like a little bit chaotic and giving people just like fragments of something to just leap around I mean I don't know how successful the piece was it's probably something that (laughs) I wouldn't want to go back and listen to but um at the time I was like oh I know there'll be some like that so I made this sort of like squeaky voice that was this sort of composer figure that was kind of being really bossy and like a bit (laughs) self-deprecating and having basically kind of an existential crisis and then it was just throwing throwing some stuff together so getting um this guitarist um just playing some like rock chords it's like okay we have an electric guitar let's just play some rock I don't know it was just kind of fun yeah um did you enjoy creating a night I did I really enjoyed it it's something I'd really like to do again but alas everything's hasn't been happening but yeah it was it was very like DIY and it was very kind of low-key and very casual and it was it was in this really cool venue in in Dalston in London which is called Set and um they just have all kinds of stuff there and the the people who run it are super nice so I sort of said hey can I bring this sort of experimental <laughs> night here and they're like oh yeah yeah and normally they'll have like loads of people like dancing around and the, the, because it was like a new music crowd everyone just sat on the floor and like watched <laughs> <laughs> and that was super nice and we, and we had a lot of people doing things like a lot of artists doing something that they hadn't really done before so yeah I really like the idea of those nights I feel like they don't necessarily happen in Manchester so much but like you say, there are certain like venues in, in, in London mm. where you've got like more of like an open, not more of an open door, but like there are more people who are like, oh, yeah, there's this place and they'll they kind of have anything on. And that's cool. Yeah, um, maybe. But like you say, it's not necessarily something you'd want to listen back to. Like it's like but it's really beneficial for the people who are doing it. Yeah, exactly. I think the only person that enjoys listening back to it is my dad, <laughs> which is really bizarre. <laughs> and it, I've got it on YouTube and I think I sent him a private link and sometimes I go oh I listen to the accidental rock opera again and I'm like of everything why do you like this one and he's you know he he works in IT and he but he's just like kind of into it I, so you never really know and I think I think it's really nice to create a space where you can really just take a risk and mm. I think that's really important especially when we're young I think striving for something that's really perfect is is maybe I mean eventually you probably do need to do that but and maybe there's a bit of both but I think yeah being able to do something and say hey you know that aspect of that really didn't work I'm never doing that again but at least I yeah. know that now and you can sort of work out what you don't want to do and there'll be something that you that oh that kind of works maybe I'll try that a little bit slightly more next time yeah like maybe i'll build a piece out of that thing that worked yeah that yeah Yeah. that that little nugget because it kind of relies on everyone just mucking in you know it's not like oh well i'm actually on mu rates so you know i actually need like 30 pounds an hour for my violin (laughs) playing you know it's like everyone's just kind of like being like yeah sure you know we'll play whatever and 
Yeah. It's a very different ethos because I think a lot of the time, if you compare like musicians to actors, there's just such a different ethos around right, the, yeah. the value of your time because like musicians are like, how long am I needed? Yeah. Don't waste my time. And that's fine. You know, like yeah, respecting yeah. Your, your value and like your time is absolutely. But then you get like actors and they'll be like, oh, like it's a date. You know, it's like a day rate. Mm. You know, I'm there for the day. Like I'm there if you need me and like we can try stuff out and mm. we have time to like bond. And I think it, sometimes it can be hard asking musicians to do things like that. I feel bad because like you're my friend, but also like I feel like you should be getting paid and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting the different ethos and the different ways of working and it's actually something I was thinking about the other day is like as musicians like even the way that we talk about what we're doing is like very different from the way that dancers might talk about what they're doing or actors and and even in the rehearsals that I've witnessed in the dance world like all the dancers will be like talking about what they're doing like in just like a very I don't know what the word is but maybe sort of intimate way or like the very it's and I think in music, especially with the classical music, it, it's so, so much of it is like bar this, mm. count seven beats to this, and your head is taken up with this sort of like geeky side. We, it's basically musicians <laughs> are really geeky. <laughs> and, and there's a lot less of it. It feels like if you were to say, I'm really feeling this because it's like reminding me of my dead dog and I just want to like there's less of that and it's sort of like looked down on a little bit in the classical world like if you were to say I don't know anything too sentimental people sort of go ah oh, yeah that's it <laughs> and I don't think there is that in the acting or the or the dance I think it's the opposite maybe mm. but maybe that's not a thing maybe that's just a feeling that I have yeah like there's a reservation about I don't know. There's like a stereotype of the jaded musician, isn't there? Like the yeah. the jaded orchestral musician. And I yeah. suppose in a way, like if you're coming up through classical music and say you want an orchestral job or you want like a steady job and those are the kind of role models in a way, I suppose. Mm. And so on some level, you're like, oh, well, you know, if I, if I get into an orchestra, I'll need that ethos. Mm. So I'll become like a grumpy, grumpy old man. <laughs> <laughs> but then not, not everyone is, is like not that. Not at all. And there's, no, and there's a lot no. of there's a lot of variation in and how people think about it and yeah do you see yourself doing more performance arty things like do you see yourself as a musician or an artist i don't know does, like, music things i don't know <laughs> it's a good question um i mean recently i've i find myself interested in things which aren't necessarily just sound based and I think I have quite a strong, I, I like, I like visual things. I, I relate to it. I find it inspiring. I think I just like to see like project to project what is there and what opportunities are there and what needs are going to arise. I like, I've been making like little films recently um, and then like making like some sound track or something to go along with it just in lockdown because it's sort of like, well, what can you do? Oh, well, you can record stuff actually and you can make films on your phone or whatever mm. you've got so I've, I've sort of been doing that and it's something I, I like to get a bit more into I think I feel like lots of people are, are interested in the more visual side of things mm. obviously you've got things like opera and like music for film where that's just inherent but even instrumental music you know we live in such a visual society mm. it kind of feels weird not to have a visual element sometimes yeah I totally get that but then I I do also love just going to concerts and like 
listening to music for the sake of it and especially more durational pieces where you might it just like starts and it goes along and it and then it ends half an hour later and you're just like okay <laughs> like why did that finish it could have kept on going forever but it just it's like the curtain was like lifted and you like hear it for a while and then it's like shut and you get okay mm. it's still there it's just not I just don't hear it anymore and I and I I think that's really special and I think there's definitely a place for that I yeah it almost kind of requires like for me the greater degree of concentration mm. than you need in the rest of the world because there's nothing to there's nothing to keep your eyes busy there's yeah. music to keep your ears busy but in a way that somehow doesn't quite compensate for it yeah and I think it sort of allows you space to reflect or notice how your body feels or you sort of change I, I don't know I don't know how to say it but um cool <laughs> That seems like a nice place to finish. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lara. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. If you want to hear more of Lara's work, we've got links in the description to all the pieces played in this episode in order, as we do with every episode. And we've also got show notes there. And there's a link to iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a word on iTunes and it helps with the old algorithm gods. And there's also a link to join our mailing list to make sure you never miss an episode. Or if you've not heard of our piece of the month segment, you can find out about that there. So to round off the episode, we're going to play a performance of Lara's Jabberwocky as performed by the wonderful ex-Audi. See you next time.